Okay, we are live. Welcome everybody to Spark Sessions. Today we have Shweb Muhammad. He is our, uh, our resident privacy expert, and we're going to talk about um, the patchwork, I guess, of privacy laws that we see across the United States, but specifically in California. Um, as I understand it, we were talking about it a little bit before we went live. There's been some movement in California with the CCPA, and we're going to talk about that. And specifically, you know, how it all applies to cannabis companies and what cannabis companies should be thinking about when it comes to privacy. Um, as always, I am Ryan Cocott. I am general counsel for IKNK Brands. And I am here with uh, Joe Devlin, who I will um, have introduce himself. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks, Ryan. Um, Joe Devlin, also with IKNK Brands. Uh, Senior Vice President of Market Development and External Affairs. Um, and in a prior life, I was a, a cannabis regulator here in the state of California. Great. Shrub, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us uh, how you got here, and then we'll start talking privacy. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm a recovering attorney, former litigator. Um, uh, went to law school when uh, Ryan was uh, an upper, one of the upperclassmen who actually uh, was uh, was was supportive of our one out class and 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 so here we are as attorneys and uh, right now I actually uh, work for the California Chamber of Commerce I work in uh, policy around uh, privacy and cybersecurity legislation in California and so uh, uh, yeah you know we've been at the forefront of that uh, California is kind of um, you know the on the bleeding edge of, uh, of new privacy regulations and reform and and uh, legislation so uh, it's been a lot of fun and a really exciting experience so far I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Before we really get into the meat of this, and this is, you know, there's no paid endorsement or anything. I will say if there's any business, be it a cannabis business or any other business in California that's having a hard time kind of getting their ducks in a row when it comes to human resources or anything like that, look at the Cal Chamber website. We subscribe to it personally as a company and it's invaluable. It really is. And that's, you know, like I said, that's not a paid plug. That's just the truth. <laughs> Awesome. Appreciate um, that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. We're happy to have you. Um, and they're lucky to have you because this is super important stuff along those lines in terms of human resources. And just really, because I mean, a lot of what we're going to talk about, we I think we think of this conversation in terms of how do we protect a company, but even in, internally in a company, privacy is a big issue, which we'll get to. Um, can you just give us kind of a, a High, high thousand foot view of the current landscape in California when it comes to privacy. Sure, sure, absolutely. So right now uh, in California, uh, everybody is, uh, is regulated under the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is a bill that was passed in 2018 uh, and, and went into effect actually this year. Uh, so the California Consumer Privacy Act is, is the first landmark comprehensive privacy legislation in the United States, uh, kind of modeled after GDPR, but uh, very different in a lot of ways. And so uh, essentially, uh, the minimum threshold for applicability to CCPA is any business in California uh, that's for profit that collects 50,000 pieces of personal information a year. So cannabis businesses, as you can imagine, if you've got uh, 137 customers a day, uh, you've got yourself uh, a CCPA compliance uh, requirement. And so uh, that's the state of the law right now. In, in addition to the CCPA, there are attorney general regulations, which essentially flesh out 
uh, the rights that consumers have under CCPA. And then just this year, California voters actually passed Prop 24, which is the CPRA, actually drafted by the same drafters of the original CCPA, but it changes the CCPA in certain ways, creates new clarifications, <clears throat> and actually raises that threshold that we were talking about from 50,000 units to 100,000 units. So there's some good some good stuff in there for, for small businesses. There's some tough stuff in there uh, for businesses. And that is uh, essentially the state of the law in California right now. What are the, uh, taking into consideration, you know, what has changed by virtue of the proposition that just passed, what are like the three key high level points that, that businesses should be thinking about in terms of complying with the law? Sure, I'd say the top three points are, uh, of course, number one uh, for any business is gonna be, does this law apply to me? Uh, and to know that is to look at the minimum threshold and the minimum threshold in the CPRA, as opposed to CCPA, is collecting 100,000 units of personal information. That's information about people or households in a calendar year. So if you're taking in 100,000 units of information a year under CPRA, that's gonna apply to you uh, starting 2023. Uh, right now, the state of the law is it's 50,000. So that's the first question is, uh, you know, does this law apply to me? I think the second thing that folks need to look at with the new CPRA is the invention of a new enforcement agency. So what that new proposition does is it creates a separate agency that's gonna be responsible for two things. Number one is creating new regulations and privacy law for California. And number two is gonna be enforcing the regulations for privacy law in California. And the reason that's important is because if businesses uh, want to establish privacy principles or be compliant, you know, to, to be forward thinking in that respect, it's really important to have an element of predictability. And because this is a new agency with new rules that are going to be promulgated, new people that are going to be appointed, it's important to kind of stay on top of, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline so that you can mobilize your operational resources in a way that has the least fiscal impact and allows you to maintain compliance. And then I think the third thing folks are going to want to look at is uh, you know, auxiliary internal data technologies and, and privacy implications. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, there are also regulations on things like facial recognition technology. And now facial recognition technologies is, is huge because uh, while it's not just, uh, you know, the, the mere detection of a face, like, for example, uh, some technologies just detect that a face is there and, you know, move the robot out of the way. But facial recognition is really important because particularly in cannabis, cannabis businesses, these are secure locations where you have to secure the types of people coming in. Folks need to be identified. And facial recognition plays a huge role in the security of customers and making sure that people are safe. So those types of regulations are going to be important. So as a cannabis business, you want to look at, hey, you know, how, how are the technologies that we're using going to need to become compliant? And how do we make sure that the people we're hiring to implement these technologies in our stores or in our process? Businesses, uh, are also complying with these laws that we now have to comply with. And that's a, actually a perfect segue into the next question I had. When we're talking pieces of information, so I know it's 50,000 under the CCPA and it sounds like 100,000 under the new law that came or the new proposition. Yeah. Um, what's, what is considered a piece of information? Are we talking digital, in-store, both? I mean, what exactly that, are we talking that about? That was going to be my question. What is a unit of information? Right. 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 
So personal information is really widely defined. And so uh, the oh, way it's, it, the way it, yeah, <laughs> of course, right? So the way it looks is if you're picking up 50,000 new email addresses a year, that's you, like you're, you're in there. Names of people, phone numbers, uh, addresses, you know, credit card information even counts. So if we got 50,000 customer pieces of customer information. And so what we're, if I have, for example, 50,000 pieces of information on just Ryan, uh, I might not have to comply with CCPA. We're talking about 50,000 separate people or households. So if I have one piece of information for 50,000 individuals or 50,000 households, that's gonna be enough uh, to trigger compliance under CCPA right now. And so, yeah, anything from email addresses, phone numbers, and as you probably noticed, you know, there's even restaurants now who are putting CCPA compliance QR codes on their menus because they see more than 137 new customers a day. And just in case they might be picking up someone's email address or, or you know, something off of the, you know, the reservation system that they booked, they're putting those compliance notices out there. So, you know, I've been on this kick lately about cannabis businesses, you know, focus on the state and local regulations that are cannabis specific and specific to their license type. And they should, right? They totally should. But they're, it's it's too narrow of a definition of compliance right and this is such a perfect example of a set of laws or a law you know a statute that cannabis companies you know you're not going to see a detailed explanation in the bcc regs about the ccpa right but it is a biz or it is a you know rules and regulations that cannabis companies need to be thinking about um how does uh so we, we were talking you know generally about what the law says i mean practically speaking what does a business do and because i you made me think of it when you said hey some businesses restaurants are having the qr codes i mean is, are there really any like practical steps a business can take let's say a dispensary could take um to, to ensure compliance with this stuff sure Sure, absolutely. Um, obviously, the first question is uh, if, if, if it applies to you, right? So if you've established that the CCPA applies to you, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, the best option is also commonly the most expensive is, is you're going to need to call a lawyer. Uh, lawyers are, are part of the operational uh, costs that we think about when we think about legislation, like, look, companies are really going to have to spend a lot in coming into compliance here. But the main thing you really want to do is understand how your business is collecting and using data. Um, collection and use of data goes so far than just the consumer interaction, right? There are, there are, for example, in cannabis law, you have track and trace requirements. Track and trace requirements have, you know, we're using so much data in systems like that to make sure that items are barcoded and, and, and inventory is monitored. And so you really want to look at how your data compliance uh, in, in, as, as a company already, uh, how your data is being used and whether or not you need to bring that up to speed with CCPA compliance. Finally, you want to look at whether or not you need to be providing notices and uh, rights to opt out to your consumers. So if you happen to be a cannabis business that is selling consumer information or sharing consumer information under the CCPA, then you need to be able to provide your consumers with the right to opt out of the sale of that information. So if, for example, uh, we are collecting and selling this information, for example, to an, another business or, or to ad for advertising purposes, uh, you know, just, just so we can make a little extra sales on uh, extra revenue off the website or anything like that, you want to think about how 
that uh, that sale or share of information is actually implicated under the CCPA. And what that means is you're probably going to need to put a link on your website that says, do not sell my personal information. You need to have people who are trained to respond to consumer requests because you're not just going to get people clicking the link. You're going to get people shooting you an email, uh, you know, giving you a call and saying, hey, delete all my info. You need to have people trained in the process to say, hey, when we get these requests, send them all to this email address. And this is how our company addresses those situations. So there is a training element involved as well. And then finally, there's the consumer capture processes, right? So establishing those links on your websites, making sure those sure those links are functional and making sure that we're actually capturing all the requests from consumers that we're, that we're receiving and we're providing all the notices to consumers that we're required to provide and doubling back on that. So it really is an internal looking uh, component combined with a consumer looking component that, that you're looking at when, when it comes to how does our business come into compliance with these rules and what really are we required to do? Yeah. So, so when you say notices, are you referring to like the pop-ups that you see when you go on a website and referring to like the data collection policy, privacy policy? Is that, are there, is that mandated within the CCPA? Right yeah, now. there are notice requirements. Uh, there are notice requirements under the CCPA. For example, you've been seeing like the cookies buttons and stuff. Part of that is CCPA requirements. Part of that is also GDPR. You'll also notice one of the big things on websites is you're seeing these do not sell my personal information buttons all the way at the bottom of the website or, or sections in the privacy policies. Uh, and I think we've all noticed like the slew of emails we got earlier in the year from all the companies saying, hey, we've updated our privacy policy, we've updated our privacy policy. Those are the types of notices that are that are required uh, now under the rules and even under the, the regulations from the attorney general. And they require that a consumer needs to be able to click that and have clear instructions and, and an unobstructed way for them to exercise their rights. Um, in addition to that, you're also going to start seeing, uh, like, for example, in the new attorney general, just just release some additional regulations where they're requiring in-store physical notices for data collection in the store. And a lot of times businesses are not actually using the data collected in the store in the sense that in the same way that they're using data collected online. Data collected in the store could be, you know, us using uh, uh, you know, security monitoring systems to make sure that, uh, you know, people who are not allowed in the store are, are, are not allowed in the store or us using, uh, you know, any other types of technologies or, or ways to uh, capture consumer data uh, with regard to uh, how they're approaching the store or how they're coming in, the flow of traffic in a store, all that kind of stuff. So it sounds pretty complex, but what it comes down to is, you know, do we have to put a sign at every point of sale? that says, hey, we collect data in the store and here's where you need to opt out, here's a link to opt out. Um, do we really need to go that far? Is it enough to, for us to just put a sign at the front that says, hey, we use facial recognition in the store or hey, we're gonna collect some of your data in the store or does the business have to really put the sign up at all? So those are part of the new regulations that the attorney general is proposing and uh, you know they're in common period for that. But that's the kind of stuff that we're really wrestling with, you know? Because it, it's it's difficult for any business, uh, you know, and particularly cannabis businesses too, because it's 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 so many regulations layered up on top of each other. It's really difficult for businesses to look at all this and say, okay, wh where do we start, and how do we know when we've achieved uh, the compliance objective? Does this apply only to businesses that are, are are selling that data, or is this is this both? Is this applies to those that are collecting it and and selling it or is this only if you you know if you collect it and sell it if you collect it uh it, it's going to apply ccpa is going to apply to you if you collect the yeah. data even if you're not technically selling it i mean well 
it, it comes down to the definition of sale. Under CCPA, you do need to be selling the information, but that includes sharing information. So if you're not okay. selling it for monetary gain, say you're, you're, you're sharing the information with uh, uh, a supply chain provider or somebody saying, this is the right. uh, content, this is how many customers we've got or whatever it might be, then you fall into that. For example, there are some companies out there that say, you know, we provide uh, advertising services to consumers and we collect tons of consumer data, but we don't sell any. So technically under CCPA, it doesn't apply to us. Those are typically companies that, the, you know, they have legal teams that have been preparing for this uh, you know, for a couple of years now, and they're ready to go to bat to try to see what the, the limits of this technically unprecedented regulation is going to be. Uh, I would not recommend that for our, you know, my local cannabis store, uh, because, uh, you know, you don't want the the, the hammer of, of, of the AG coming down on you. So I, I would always caution, you know, talk to your attorney, talk to people like Ryan, who really know what they're talking about, and get those compliance objectives with, uh, with you know, like an affirmative heart, like we actually are trying to do the best we can here. So if I'm a cannabis business and I have a customer list of 50,000 names and maybe other pizzas data, this applies to me. And I now have yet another la layer of compliance, non-cannabis specific that I need to, that I need to be on top of. That's correct. I, I get, so what's, so what is then, um, I guess the, you know, what is the, the, the penalty for, for, for non, for non-compliance and on the cannabis side, I mean, it's pretty steep, you know, if you're not in compliance with the cannabis regulations, you can lose your license, you can get a fine, um, you can have your license suspended, um, uh, you know, and, and worse depending on right. the activity. So I guess, uh, you know, if, if someone is out of compliance, what are what are those mechanisms for um, uh, of for remedying that? Sure. So uh, right now under CCPA, the only the only area in the law that allows a private right of action is for damage caused by a data breach incident. So if the data is actually breached and a consumer is actually harmed, then there's an opportunity where the consumer can sue and for damages. Uh, that is a very limited private private right of action in the statute. The rest of CCPA enforcement is handled currently by the attorney general. And then when it turns to CPRA in 2023, it'll go to the new agency. So right now there's a, there's essentially attorney general compliance. And what we see is uh, the AG will send businesses a notice of violation and say, hey, you know what? We think you guys are selling personal information. That means you need to have a do not sell link on your website. Or we think you guys are collecting personal information, but you don't have that disclosed in your privacy policies online. Your customers don't know that. So you need to bring that into compliance. And it, there is built into CCPA a 30 day essentially right to cure where you can engage with the AG and say, hey, we're, we're working on this. Tell us what we need to fix and we'll fix it. Uh, CPRA doesn't have that 30-day right to cure, so those notice of violations might not carry over. But currently, uh, if you're out of compliance, let's say a consumer is really mad and reports it to the AG or the AG is just on its survey, just, just notices, you'll get a notice uh, before any action is actually taken against you. And you'll have an opportunity to work with the attorney general and fix that. And what we've been telling businesses is if you get a notice of violation from the attorney general, uh, communicate with the attorney general. Let them know that you, you want to comply and you're trying to comply and engage your attorney to have them uh, work it out with them so that you, you, end up, you, know, you don't end up with a lawsuit from the attorney general. So where do you think this all came from? I mean, all I can think about is you know you click on an ad on facebook and then all of a sudden you know a week later you see the same thing pop up on youtube 
Do you think like the retargeting capabilities that are out there right now had anything to do um, with the CCPA? Like what is the, what do you think is the genesis of all of this? Yeah, so actually it's interesting because uh, the, the gentleman who drafted or you know, had his attorney draft CCPA, he's a really successful real estate developer from San Francisco. His name is Alistair McTaggart. And so what he did was he, he said that he was at a cocktail party with some data analysts from, you know, some data company uh, who basically, you know, were having a cocktail conversation about all the types of data they collect on people. And, you know, they, they were talking about how, you know, they, they, they can profile someone and, you know, it's amazing what people will tell us on the internet. And, and that really scared him and it scared him for, you know, enough to be willing to spend uh, several million dollars of his own money uh, drafting this rule and then pushing it uh, into, the, into, into the ballot. And so the first time around, it was CCPA. The reason it didn't end up as a proposition was because the way he had drafted it was just kind of, it was just ill-equipped to deal with the real world. Great concept, but really just not going to work. It needed a lot of work. So industry, labor, uh, you know, the legislature, all the, all the various stakeholders uh, in the process kind of negotiated with McTaggart and said, hey, put it in the hands of the legislature so that like there's some vetting going on and we can work on it. And um yeah, soon after that, he he put together the second version, which was CPRA, and he he pushed that one all the way to the ballot. So it was it was truly just one individual who, um, you know, had had a, you know had some concerns he wanted to deal with, and uh, you know had the resources to make it happen. <laughs> well, then there's a Netflix movie that just came out. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, the Social there's, Dilemma. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. The Social really, Dilemma. This is what it's reminding me of. So I, maybe it's timely. It's interesting. <laughs> You know, cannabis companies by and large are are prohibited um, from running paid ads on Facebook and Instagram. But I, I assume that's going to change in the near future. I've seen some companies get away with it um, just by virtue of not having like cannabis in the copy, but having like a picture of it. Because I don't, I don't yeah. think the algorithm actually crawls pictures. But I, I think this is timely information because retargeting campaigns, which you you know, that's an avenue you can go to do that are going to be more and more popular um, as we go forward here. So you had mentioned too the GDPR before. What is the GDPR? Just for clarity. So that's the European uh, General Data Privacy Regulation. And so that is uh, the first uh, essential like real framework for how privacy law uh, can work in a legal scheme. And it was soon followed by CCPA. So the global standard standard kind of is G uh, GDPR. And most international companies, uh, you know, are, are not just fully compliant with that, but would, uh, you know, might even uh, uh, like to see elements of that elsewhere, just so compliance is not patchwork. Um, you know, some companies are like, hey, you know, just give us GDPR and we can we can do that. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, California is, is a, an innovative state and we always do things kind of our, our own way. And so uh, California has its own law. <laughs> yeah, that was that kind of leads into what I was going to ask you, too. I mean, we. We operate in multiple multiple countries in in California, so it's like, what do you do as a company? I mean, do you have separate data privacies for each country, or do you find something like the GDPR that is, you know, the strictest of them all, and just comply by that? I mean, what what does a company do if it operates in California as well as in other states or other countries? Sure, sure. So there are enough differences from GDPR to CCPA that you will want to comply with both if both apply to you. And that does make it difficult. So 
what some companies do is for California consumers, if your IP address shows California, you're going to see California notices and California stuff. And if you're not in California, you're going to see everything else. Other companies, you know, they are just CCPA compliant internationally. And if you're in Europe, you'll see a GDPR notice. Other companies are the other way around, right? GDPR internationally. But if you're if you're in the U.S., for example, they'll give you a CCPA notice just because they're they're trying to make that that easier. Uh, but the truth is, right now, they have to comply with both. Um, under CPRA, however, one of the aims that uh, you know the authors had with with CPRA is is to try to get an adequacy determination with GDPR. And what that means is, uh, you know, GDPR essentially provides that if your country's privacy law is good enough, you can send the data back and forth from Europe to that country uh, without any additional restrictions because you've met adequacy with GDPR. California is not a country, but it would be the first state ever uh, to actually achieve a GDPR adequacy determination. We don't know if that's actually going to happen, but we do know that's one of their goals with uh, CPRA was to try to bring it more in line with GDPR and get us to a place where, okay, maybe there will be an adequacy determination. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to comply with both rules. It just means that you can send data back and forth between uh, you know, those jurisdictions without any additional requirements. It, it still requires compliance in both. Yeah. Wow. It just, uh, well, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things too. And I just think of it in terms of cannabis companies where it's like, it's already a, a very, very heavily regulated industry to begin with. And this is, um, like I said at the outset, it's just such a, a great example of why you need to look past what's only, you know, what's in these state and local regulations and consider this kind of stuff because ultimately, um, they can have a pretty big impact on your business. And I, I worry about it to a certain extent because I'm thinking of a situation, what what happens when a business, um, as you said, that you know people should be consulting with attorneys and specifically people should be consulting with attorneys like you that actually work in this area and aren't, not, you don't wanna pay someone to figure this stuff out, obviously. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I mean, aside from paying an attorney to figure out does this apply and how do I go about uh, complying with it, I mean, what do you think a business is going to have to spend in order to make sure their ducks are in a row and that they're not, you know, in hot water with privacy in California? Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 going to be costly. Uh, when the when the attorney general first put forward his regulations for CCPA, um, the they commissioned a study on uh you know how much this is going to cost businesses in california in terms of compliance and it was it was a conservative number but it was still 55 billion dollars in initial costs of compliance over the next you know you know over the compliance period and then you know recurring tens of millions of dollars a year and that's a lot and we think it's actually you know it's potentially even going to be more because that was just the ccpa regulations now if you look at the series of events in 2018 ccpa passes 2020 it comes into effect 2020, same year, new attorney general regulations come into effect. In addition to that, this same year, new regulations are appearing. Then in 2023, there's going to be a new CPRA enforced by a new agency that's going to write new regulations. So you think about how many times businesses are going to be stuck trying to come up to date with this level of compliance. And it's just kind of a merciless, you know, slew. Uh, and then you also think about it, you know, like in, in terms of COVID-19, like, you know, cannabis businesses, just like other businesses, uh, are, are, are in a bind, you know, especially retail cannabis businesses. You know, folks aren't coming in uh, and things are hard enough as it is. 
we don't need new rules in a time like this. In fact, we need help. Uh, and instead of helping, a lot of times, you know, people are like, well, you know, we're just going to keep cracking away with you with these rules. One of the things we asked the attorney general this year was, would you please, please delay enforcement of the CCPA regs? They did not delay enforcement of the CCPA regs. Uh, <laughs> they went right after it. And they told us, in fact, you know, because of uh, COVID, we think that this is even more important now. And we say, you know, of course, we respect consumer privacy and we want to comply in terms of consumer privacy. But, you know, we got to stay in business. Otherwise, the, you know, there's no business. <laughs> right. Does yeah. the C does does the state law and the uh, initiative that passed, does it provide any classification of, of data? And I guess what I mean by that, does it consider some data to be more uh, protected or should be more protected than other? Dispensaries collect a lot of information and it really does run the gambit, uh, gambit sure. of um, uh, of how sophisticated an operation they own. I mean, you mentioned facial recognition. Um, I talked to a dispensary owner just a couple of weeks ago who was uh, uh, evaluating putting in um, a security camera system that had facial recognition software that could tell the bud tender what that person bought last time. So it recognizes their face. It pulls up their order from last time. It's That's like, awesome. hey, Joe, do you want that same <laughs> pack of pre-rolls? You know, it's cool. It's also a little creepy, uh, you know, but we also collect um, – you know, in, in other cases, uh, photocopies of driver's license, or at least we scan driver's license. Um, right. Some 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 locations uh, re collect and retain some of that information. So is it categorized as to what should be more protected or is it all just kind of lumped in as personal data? Sure, actually, that's a great question. So under the current CCPA, it's all personal information. Uh, the new CPRA creates a new classification called sensitive personal information. And that's the type of stuff you're talking about. Scanning driver's licenses, social security numbers, medical related information, the sensitive stuff. And, uh, you know, I would I would advise companies to go and check the rules and, and you know, see what that uh, what the actual distinctions are, or have your attorneys do it. But uh, there is a distinction there. And that is actually another uh, going back to our point earlier, it's another compliance hurdle, because if you're classifying everything as personal information now and you've already operationalized CCPA, now you've got to recategorize. You've got to sort through the data, recategorize the SPI, the sensitive personal information, and have different processes for how that's treated. And that's, you know, that's compliance heavy. And, and like you said, you know, even just wanting to offer better services to your customers, like, hey, you know, here's your recent orders. Even when you walked into a resale store, hey, we've got your recent orders pulled up for you. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, some people might want to opt out, whatever. But like, you know, that's the problem is that now we're going to have to start thinking, uh, you know, even more surgically about that, even more surgically about like, yeah, like this is the type of technology, but now the, the rule is going to change and and now we're going to have to address this differently. But yeah, sensitive personal information is uh, a more regulated and, and more, uh, uh, you know, it must be treated differently under CPRA. I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I really do get it. I mean, I, the whole, you know, the big brother feel you get when you, you know, you're talking about something and that shows up and, you know, you're asking yeah. yourself, is my phone listening to me kind of deals, what this is reminding me as well. But it's just like, you know, when you're any business, but you know, my world is cannabis, you know, you have to have some, some level of risk assessment laid out. Right. And, you know, you can't, you can't treat every risk as if it is, you know, going to sink your business if you don't prioritize it. But something like this, especially with risk that is consumer facing, I think is something that really does need to be, 
prioritize, but you know, you balance that with the practical reality of an, you know, implementing a program, right? Right. Uh, and I know we've talked about talking to an attorney. Um, are there any resources out there? You know, if someone wants to, you know, educate themselves maybe before they talk to an attorney so that they can have a more intelligent conversation with that attorney about it. Is there information out there that people can access to, to learn more about it? Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm just as an attorney, I would always say the first place to go is try to read the law. Um, you know, it makes for great bedtime reading. It'll knock you out in minutes. And, yeah. and, and, and but, you know, it's it's like 20 to 40 pages, nothing crazy. But, you know, if you're a business owner, this this concerns you. And and you you ought to read the law, especially this this new law, because there's no case history here. There's no precedent. You are at the forefront of this, so you won't necessarily need to pay a lawyer to tell you this is how the cases have decided this. Decided this. If you read the law, you've pretty much figured out exactly what what it requires. Um, in addition to that, you know, uh, I would Google it. Do the research. Get on Google Scholar. Get on those places and 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 look for the blog posts. Every law firm that wants your business is producing blog posts in this and they're throwing out tidbits of information that could be relevant to the question you have and then finally of course uh you know follow people like ryan follow people like joseph you know like follow people like cal chamber people who are involved with these things who are putting out the the information you know hosting webinars like this one and 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 you know trying to tell people hey this is what's going on staying in front of the game you know like that's the kind of thing that, that that's going to make a difference because even in the political world, a lot of times the, the people who find out the information first are the people who, who, who read the tweet first or, or who read the article first, right? And so, you know, being in the circles, being in the groups, being in the place where, you know, just like you might be getting a suggestion for the ad, you, you know, your feed is actually providing you CCPA compliance stuff and, and compliance resources. I think that's going to be important because, uh, you know, the more uh, resources and information you have on the topic, uh, the better equipped you'll be to deal with it. And then, of course, if you have uh, a better understanding of it, you'll know exactly when it's going to be time to call a lawyer and, and stuff like that. So uh, that's going to be important. And, and finally, of course, I would also say talk to your vendors. A lot of times your vendors, like, you know, the people who are providing your point of sale systems, the people who are providing the supply chain management, the track and trace systems, those folks probably are CCPA compliant. And you can talk to them and say, hey, you're one of my service providers. Are you guys CCPA compliant? Give us information on how you're handling the data that we provide you. And that'll give you a better picture of, uh, you know, not just uh, the information that you guys are providing to them and what, what they're doing with it, but also a better picture of, okay, this is how a business that's in the track and trace industry might be handling this type of consumer information. There's a benchmark for me to look at as a business owner without hiring a lawyer and saying, look, these are the types of things they're doing and just kind of trying to sort that out and say, oh, that matches up with the law I read earlier or whatever. So, you know, just get into the nitty gritty. It's a brand new law. Uh, have fun with it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, sounds like a blast. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, my, you know, my intention or my goal with this podcast today was just to raise awareness. I, because I, you know, I think if you took a survey of 100 people, that 90 to 98 of them wouldn't have ever even, you know, wouldn't know about the CCPA. At right. very least, I want people to be aware, um, and specifically cannabis businesses, to be aware that it's out there. I mean, it would be possible impossible for us to have a podcast for an hour, you know, and lay everything out. But it just, to me, this is really, you know, it is something I think cannabis companies need to be thinking about. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing I would add uh, that we didn't touch on, uh, both the CCPA and the CPRA have exceptions or exemptions 
uh, for employee data. Uh, and that's how employee data is handled. But those exemptions sunset uh, in 2023. So the exemption actually sunsets. Uh, there is a big question in, in the legislative world is how are we going to fill that gap when a, an employee has an absolute right to delete information? What is the implication for a business that needs to retain evidence, for example, in the event that a sexual harassment claim comes forward or something like that? So with cannabis businesses, obviously you're employing people and people resources, employee management and human resources. That's a huge compliance area that, that needs to be paid attention to. And, and just as a flag for the future. Uh, right now, employee data is generally exempted from the CCPA and the new initiative, but uh, it won't be forever. So that's another thing to keep an eye on and, and think about. I have uh, I have a question that's um, related, but it's slightly in a different direction. Cannabis businesses, particularly retail, collect a lot of different data points, um, and one of them is is perhaps unique to the cannabis industry in that, you know, we don't just deal with, um, you know, emails and names and credit card numbers. Uh, we also serve a population of folks that are uh, medical patients. And so while they're not coming in there with a prescription, they are coming in with a physician's recommendation that addresses a particular condition that 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 physician believes that this person has and that that physician believes that cannabis will uh, uh, benefit um, that condition. Um, how is, how, how should dispensaries be, be kind of treating that data set in, in light of this, in light of this, this law and this new proposition that's passed? You know, I would consider that, uh, you know, I'd have to double check the, the, the statutory language, but, you know, my best guess was, is that that would be considered sensitive information. And that would be, uh, you know, among the information you want to treat uh, with the highest levels of protection. You know, so uh, not just making sure that from a data security standpoint, that information is secure, but also, uh, you know, to the extent that there are, for example, HIPAA information or that kinds of information, uh, you want to check. Um, actually, one of the one of the things is that in CCPA, there are limited exemptions for health information that are that are protected under, for example, HIPAA standards or other federal uh, privacy standards. So in certain contexts, certain medical information can be considered exempt from CCPA, but it's because it's under regulation from some other areas such as HIPAA. So knowing that, uh, you know, I think a business would know whether or not they're handling, for example, HIPAA information or something like that. But, uh, you know, treating medical information uh, differently is not something that's uncommon. We see that in the CCPA. And I would think that I would imagine that under CPRA, that would also be considered uh, sensitive information, some of the information you want to protect the most. Yeah, certainly it's something that uh, every dispensary should be aware of, um, especially sure. if they're accepting and treating medical patients. It is it is sensitive data. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I guess that would lead me to my next question. Um, who, you know, who generally has access to, to this data? Does, um, you know, so if I'm, you know, business X and I'm collecting whatever my tens of thousands of data points uh, a month, um, is, is, does any, who has access to that, to, to that data? Does the government have access to that data? Is there, or is this the kind of, you know, my personal data that I get to kind of own and, you know, 
sort through, if you will? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's kind of a philosophical question as to, you know, who owns the data is one question. Access, I think, is, 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 is you know, you're putting it the right way. Um, and in terms of access, you know, I think any business knows that they, they would need to comply with certain requests from governments and, and law enforcement, you know, for evidentiary purposes, you know, requests from attorneys, uh, you know, certain information will, will uh, uh, you know, fall in, into those spheres uh, for sure. But uh, you actually raise an issue that, that people have is that, you know, increasingly what we see is uh, cities, uh, counties uh, trying to compel businesses to provide personal information about customers that they're not necessarily entitled to. And so what you've actually seen is businesses actually push back and try to create legislation that says, hey, you're, you're not allowed to have all this information about our consumers because, number one, uh, our consumers never gave you permission to do this. They might not know what's going on. And secondly, like, that's our data. And like, we are taking the position that we want to protect our consumers because they're our consumers. We don't want them to turn against us. Right. You know, we want to be good to our, our, right. our, our customer base. So, um, yeah, so there is a concern and that's an ongoing question. Actually, there is no, uh, finite solution there, but it depends on a County by County basis. For example, if you're in Los Angeles, there's, I think certain, uh, requirements that you do have to turn over certain types of data to the, to the city. Uh, that that may not exist, uh, you know, in San Francisco, for example. So uh, that's something that you want to look at on a county by county level as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's certainly going to that's going to be an issue that's not going to be going away as cannabis continues to, you know, increase in uh, legalization wise across the state, and as more and more cities and states come online. Um, I think that those two issues are going to continuously be at a crossroads for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, people want access to cannabis. I think that part is clear, you know, as, sure. as, 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 you know, Arizona and many other, and, and four other states came online this year. Uh, but I think if you asked voters, you know, um, do you want access to cannabis uh, and to share all your purchasing history with the state that you live in, I think the answer to that question would be uh, absolutely not. Um, right. You know, I think we have uh, an expectation of, of privacy that is probably uh, far greater than the reality of privacy that we uh, have been uh, receiving from the last couple of years through big tech. Um, but certainly interesting. Well, when we take a step, when we take a step back, and we, we think about, you know, put aside the the specifics of the CCPA and whatnot, what we're really talking about is it's, we're getting into a conversation about how we view cannabis, right? In terms of whether or not HIPAA is going to apply, do we view it as medicine or, or is it like an, a recreational drug in the way that alcohol is? Um, you know, and that, I think that especially when we talk about seeing federal legalization happen, the outlook that the federal government has in that kind of dichotomy is going to be telling in terms of whether or not the HIPAAs of the world apply in this, this context. I, I personally view cannabis as medicine and um, I hope that, you know, nine out of 10 people you talk to that previously were against cannabis have had their mind changed if they have had it changed based on um, either their own personal experience or the experience of a friend or family member, right? And that's 
Sure. That's not, oh, my friend got high and had a good time. That's, you know, my friend was going to and it, it helped her eat kind of deal. So I am hoping that, you know, the federal government does look at this as medicine. And I think that, you know, that question and how that question is answered is going to dictate um, how this all shapes up, to be honest with you, just from a kind of thousand foot view. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I, I hope they true. extend... I hope they would extend those privacy protections to uh, consumers that have uh, completed that medical form. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that th that they will receive that that HIPAA protection. Um, but it's certainly a gray area. I mean, there are dispensaries across the state and across and across the country that have collected very sensitive personal information on on people, and some of them take. Uh, the protection of that data very seriously, um, you know. While at the same time, you have local municipalities that 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 want access to it. Um, we actually had a situation like that in Sacramento, where there was an, an an attempt to do an audit to make sure that this dispensary was uh, only selling uh, cannabis to medical patients, um, and that they had a valid physician's recommendation completely valid question that you want to find out the answer to as a regulator. Um, however, this auditor's approach to it was, well, give me all of your patient records. And, oh. and the dispensary owner said, absolutely not. Um, I'm going to treat these as if they uh, are HIPAA uh, protected and I'm not going to turn over a single record. Um, we ended up having to reach a compromise where the auditor was viewing redacted information, but could see the validity of, of the uh, physician's recommendation, but the personal information had, had been redacted. Um, I, I'm glad we ended up there because had the city pursued um, or um, kind of uh, finally obtained that list, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, it was. It'd be a list that they wouldn't want. I mean, they would have ended up with a list, and being in Sacramento, of tens of thousands of people that smoke cannabis, and that list would have included city employees, state employees, state legislators. Um, you know, you name it, lobbyists. Um, and I think that all of those folks would have felt that that would have been a violation of their privacy, ultimately. So. Sure. I think we need to find that sweet spot of um, consumer protection, um, you know, and compliance. And you know, hopefully, this new this this new uh, law that passed is 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 going to find that balance. I, I I don't know the answer to that to that question, but yeah, it doesn't apply to the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, businesses need to find that sweet spot because there's no doubt that you know reasonable minds can disagree i'm guessing in the interpretation of a lot of this stuff but you know i guess at a certain point a business has to ask itself do we want to play the game that this has to apply you know rely on a gray area to say that this doesn't apply to us or do we play it safe and you know get ahead of it or just comply with the law um if it is unclear you know if it applies and i that's going to be the answer to that question is that going to just have to be kind of a risk calculus, if you want to call it that, by each individual business that takes into, into consideration each business's kind of position and where they're at. But, um, 
I, I guess my suggestion from outside looking into businesses and especially cannabis businesses is that if it is feasible to do it, I, I would imagine you're better off, you know, being on the safer end and not playing the, the gray area game that this doesn't apply to me. But it just, again, it goes back to um, whether or not it's practical to do that. So I just, it's tough, you know, and this is definitely not the only area that you run into this issue in terms of cannabis and in terms of law that, you know, businesses should be complying or thinking about complying with outside of, you know, what's mentioned in the local and state regs. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're probably, I think you're right. Uh, on a lot of points, Ryan, you know, the cannabis industry as a whole is probably uh, ripe to not be in compliance with, with these privacy protections. If for no other reason that we've been really focused on the 900 other things that we have to do in addition to what other businesses um, are, are required to do in order to be compliant with all the state laws around, you know, track and trace and everything else. So, um, yeah, okay. industry as a whole is probably not focused on this. Well, and who's paying for it? I mean, especially retailers, there's a misconception, I think, that they're flush, you know, because you see these stories about lines out the door and because of COVID and whatnot, because they've been designated as an essential business in California. But let's not forget local, state, and federal tax taxes, and specifically 280E, that absolutely crushes businesses. So, you know, we can talk about this in theory, does it apply and how do we comply, but who's paying for it? I mean, a lot of these businesses are hurting to begin with, and that, you know, I'm sure applies even more so. I mean, cannabis, it probably applies more so to other industries. Cannabis, to some degree, has gotten lucky by virtue of being designated, you know, essential. I mean, what about these other businesses that are, are barely even able to open their doors right now? I mean, we have, we're back in the purple zone or whatever it's called in Sacramento. Sure. People are shutting their doors. I mean, is there any, you know, is there any, like, avenue i guess for those businesses and all of this you know has, has that been considered covid in terms of you know i know you mentioned earlier to you would ask the ag or you know organizations had asked the ag to uh delay enforcement was that part of that request i mean is there any kind of reprieve yeah uh that was part of the request was you know we, we we're, we're we're in a state of pandemic we're in an economic shutdown uh you know help us out a little bit but uh, on the privacy side, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, industry takes a, a, a reasonable approach. We, we want no one, you know, that I've talked to is against privacy. Uh, we're, we're for privacy, but include business as well. We just want to be included in the conversation. Um, and a lot of what this is, is, uh, you know, the, from the flip side, it's, hey, COVID has caused everyone to move online data is flowing faster and more voluminously than ever and they they see it as all the more reason now uh to you know crack down on data privacy but uh you know it's it's the small businesses that hurt the most in the end of the day and that's the thing uh you know we've got just like you were saying you know with the retailers uh cannabis businesses too you know like people think it's it's some hugely hugely obscenely profitable business it, it's actually just like any other business it's hard to run it costs a lot uh, you know, security measures are high. You know, banking is a problem. Uh, there are so many risks and bleeding pieces 
you know, to the to the cannabis profit model. And those pieces that are bleeding money are purely, you know, almost purely as a result of regulations and, and compliance issues. And so, you know, when you think about that from that perspective, you say, look, you know, especially in a time when it's when it's economically tough, you, you know, we, we would imagine that, you know, government backs off regulation a little bit and allows businesses to, to kind of free flow a little more. But, um, you know, yeah, we haven't had any reprieve there, really. <laughs> well, you know what the problem is, is, you know, you can make distinctions based on growth start. My cat is uh, joining the podcast. I don't know if you guys have seen the movement when I screwed it up. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, almost, it almost applies too equally to small business as it does to large. And what I mean by that is, you know, your, your average dispensary is collecting data left and right in person and online. And, you know, and this, this really goes for compliance just in general. I mean, you can have a, you can pay someone to write a, what's referred to as a paper program. Um, but how many of these small businesses have the resource to actually correctly implement the program? You know, I don't, I'm, I'm sure people can wing it, you know, or you can hire an attorney and put something together on paper, but let's not forget, it's not just about writing it down. It's what's more important is implementing it, training your employees and monitoring it to ensure that it's actually that program is being complied with. You know, put aside all the ambiguity that probably just, you know, lies within the actual black letter of what the CCPA says. Um, you know, the idea of having to to get people on board and monitor that, you know, ensure that the people that you have on board, your employees are, are you know, complying with this stuff. I mean, sure. are, are, are there ways to um, automate this, I guess? I mean, are there programs out there that can help people, you know, with their uh, business being compliant? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure there's a slew of CCPA compliance programs and softwares out there. Um, you know, I'm, I, even I've seen, you know, when you just type in CCPA compliance, there's plenty of ads for people who are uh, you know, happy to help, but I think that it is a a business to you know business by business uh, solution. I don't think there's going to be uh, a flat out of the box solution for every business. Maybe if you if you're okay with like you know sort of over compliance sometimes, maybe sure. Um, but uh, I think it really matters you know what you do, what your business is doing, and and you know just like you said, it, it falls just in line with uh, with with cybersecurity, right? This isn't a one time you set it up and it's done. This is an ongoing struggle. This is something that's going to take an annual investment and people do need to be trained. And just like in operationalizing it, you need to have processes for how you handle requests, how you vet the request and how you end up replying to the request. So, um, yeah, it, it's an ongoing cost of, uh, of doing business in California now. Well, it almost reminds me of, uh, of cannabis and you have, you know, you'll see content and people referring to themselves. I mean, actually, psychedelics, too, is another one referring to themselves as expert when the law literally was passed yesterday, which is always kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of it, which kind of leads me into, I guess, what will be our, our last question is if, if you're looking for an attorney or if you're looking for a consultant, how do you kind of, you know, pick someone? What do you ask? You know, what should you be looking for when you're looking for someone to work with to help you? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, you want to see, uh, what what they produce on the issue, um, you know, does it just say it on their website, or can you Google them and see that they actually, you know, they're writing about it, that they're they're you know like this, like you know they're producing podcasts about it, that they're they're out there in the field. 
Um, you know, another thing is, uh, you know, uh, expert is nice and everything, but like do the check and it's always good to ask people, you know, I think at this point, nobody doesn't know somebody in cannabis. And if you don't know somebody in cannabis, reach out to someone on LinkedIn because people in cannabis are freaking awesome and they're always happy to help. And so, uh, you know, get in touch with folks who are in the industry and get some personal referrals, actually. You know, uh, nobody goes, you know, I don't, re I don't recommend you a new snowboard on Facebook, right? Like I recommend you a new snowboard in person when we're heading down a slope, your board breaks and I, dude, you should have bought a Burton, right? Like that's how that happens. So, so when you're actually in a situation where you need a lawyer, you need to find one of these people, reach out to your contacts, people who know uh, the, the folks they're recommending, or at least know the person who recommends them and says, Hey, I've vetted them and, and they're good to go. Um, you know, I think, I think that there's uh, that's the best way to go about it. You know, do the research and check on folks. Yeah. And does, does Cal Chamber have or will they have any resources on this stuff or? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chamber. So Cal Chamber, of course, we have tons of HR compliance uh, materials and resources. Uh, Cal Chamber membership includes, uh, for example, you know, the HR compliance hotline where you can just call up and, and ask questions. And uh, uh, yeah, so we have tons of resources on this stuff as well. Of course, um, uh, calchamber.com, you know, appreciate it. But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, those are the types of like secondary resources that are, are, are available to folks who don't necessarily want to drop the, the dollar on the, on the lawyer, but still need some sort of compliance guidance and, and some help along the way. Great. Joe, do you have any last questions? We're at about an hour here. No, that was uh, great. It was, thank you so much for all your time. It was very informative. Um, you know, I think uh, you know, these topics that are uh, not cannabis specific, I think, are continuing to, to worth, di worth diving into. Uh, we are often so focused in the requirements of the cannabis specific regulations, you know, in part because they're complex and the stakes are so high that we forget that we're dealing with a lot of new business owners that haven't run a that weren't running the business, you know, three years ago yeah. doing something else that aren't used to all the HR requirements and all these other requirements that um, that it takes to uh, run just a legally compliant business, regardless of what it is. And so, um, this is certainly um, a, a very timely topic and um, one that we should probably continue to revisit too. Yeah, I mean, in law, when we were in law school, you know, they were they would make the point that gone are the days of the general practitioner. Um, <laughs> and I would challenge anybody um, to be in-house in a cannabis company who feels that way, because I, I think by far it's probably true. But I found that, you know, practicing cannabis law, you're hitting just about every area of law. That being said, it's nice to speak with you, Schweb, because, you know, you've gotten down into the nitty gritty of this stuff, whereas... Um, you know, I think a lot of in-house counsel, they do what they need to do to make sure their, their company is in compliance. But, you know, you need to be working on this stuff full time in the way that you do to really become an expert at it. So it's cool to see. Um, where can people find you on online, social media and all that good, that good stuff? Uh, yeah, feel free. Uh, so you can find me, uh, uh, you know, my, my email address is just my first name dot my last name at calchamber.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can just, you know, type in my name, Shweb Muhammad. And uh, yeah, I'm always uh, happy to help. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we at Cal Chamber, we have our privacy coalitions. Uh, you know, we've got tons of people who are general counsels, uh, uh, chief privacy officers and lobbyists on the ground. So 
um, you know, happy to bring, uh, you know, the news and information uh, to you guys, uh, you know, as best as I can and, and uh, to help keep, uh, keep our industries up to date on, on the latest. Awesome. Maybe we'll have you back on in uh, a month or two to see where things are at. Cause I'll definitely be sure. Oh. All right. Yeah, thank you so much. It. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank Appreciate you, you guys having me. Thank you so much. It's been great. All right. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Thanks.